So we are in a series called Cheat Codes, and what we've been talking about is the fact that we have these things available to us that the Bible tells us about that allows us to cheat or to power up in life. So I don't know if you ever played video games or not. So my, my kids, uh, I grew up on video games. I had a paper route. All my money went to uh, pay for my bike and uh, that I wanted, uh, a, a Webco bike with snake belly tires and Shimano brakes. And I, I loved that bike. And then when I bought that bike, I, I, that was a lot of money at the time, and especially for a, a 12, 13-year-old kid. And so I got my bike, and then I um, uh, used the rest of the money for video games. And so I was joking last week that uh, I used to play this game called Galaga. And if you go, for those of you watching online, in Garden Grove, we have a place called Steelcraft. And they have a Galaga game. And if you go to that Galaga game and you look at the high scores, there's like second place is like 50,000 points. And first place is like 876,000 points. And it'll say PJ right next to that which is your pastor, who just happens to be really good at Galaga. So if you beat me in Galaga, uh, send me a text or whatever, you won't. But anyway, um, you, can, you, can, you can try. But what else happened with that paper route is uh, I had gone through, I bought my bike, I bought a skateboard, uh, an Astro skateboard with Kryptonic wheels and independent trucks. I was very into both my skateboard and my bike. And, uh, and so I remember one day, I looked at my bank account, and I had $500 in my bank account. And I remember at 13 years old, with my paper out, brand new Webco bike, my astral board in my room, and $500 in the bank. Don't mean to brag, I was untouchable, okay? <laughs> I was untouchable until my pastor decided to preach on what I'm going to preach on this morning, and it was on tithing or giving or all that kind of stuff. Now, we have, for those of you who are here, we have locked the doors uh, in the back, and for those of you who are online, we track your IP address, we know where you are, and we're going to come get you. Now, here, here's the thing about money, and I understand because I'm a pastor, and uh, in November... Uh, I will have spent as much time as a pastor as I did in business. So it'll be 16 years each. So in December, I will officially be a pastor longer than I was in business. And uh, that's kind of exciting to me. It's my, my own little thing. But for, what I hear a lot is like, hey, I, I, you, I, the reason I don't go to church is because all they talk about is money. Okay, you've probably heard that before. And, and rightly so, there are people with fake hair, comb-overs, and, you know, stuff on their teeth that make them look bright, and they drive private jets and all that kind of stuff. But here, here I just want to talk to the person who says church talks too much about money. Totally understand. But all I'm asking you to do is to take that and apply it to the rest of your life. So if you're watching the news, and they come up with taxes or inflation or money, you turn it off. Because all they do is talk about money. You turn, I get it. So don't go to church. Don't watch the news. Uh, and when you're at work and they're talking about quarterly earnings, you just walk out of that meeting. All these people do is talk about money. I, and when you get home, and this, this might be tough, and your spouse or significant other or whatever it is, however you go home, you go home and they start talking about the budget, you just walk right out. 
actually, have your bags packed. Because I'll bet they're going to start talking about money. And all they do is talk about money. All the news talks about money. Listen, I'm not for communism or anything like that. But Congress, all they do is talk about money. Don't listen to Congress. Don't listen. You just follow it. Take your theology and just apply it to your life everywhere. Okay. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, the reason it seems like churches talk about money a lot is because of the cheat code of giving. People who you're around that don't seem to have that much money somehow are content, and people who have tons of money somehow are not content. As a matter of fact, there's been studies, many of them done. I've read a bunch of them this week. Uh, I'll just give you the, the highlight. Everybody wants more money. Everybody. Now you say, well, the poor, of course they want more money. Of course they do. As a matter of fact, those making $30,000 a year, they wish they made sixty. That would be... The, then they'd stop talking about money. You make thirty thousand. If you make th when you poll everybody, those making thirty thousand dollars, they want sixty thousand. Here's the problem: those who make sixty thousand, guess how much they want? One hundred and twenty thousand. As a matter of fact, you get around $150,000 a year. That's about where people seem to settle down until you poll millionaires. And millionaires want more. Everybody wants more. That's why everybody talks about money. That's why if you flip on the news right now, whether you're on the right or on the left, I'm still happy for our church. For the most part, we're still half right, half left. Although I lost both of the extremes during COVID. The far left, I lost them a little bit, few families. Far right, lost them, few families. God, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm too progressive or... We don't say that word anymore. I'm too normal. Um, and so, so that's the thing. Everybody's talking about money, 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 money. And so what I wanted to do this morning was talk a little bit about money, even talk about the tithe, which is just crazy theology, talk about giving 10% of your money away. But what if there is a cheat code of contentment in the Bible that applies to every single person? It applies to you if you're making $15,000 a year. It applies to you if you're making $15 million a year. If you're in the sound of my voice and you are make $15 million a year, it's livingspring.com. Click giving, scroll down. No, I'm just kidding around, right? That's what you expect, okay? I'm just giving you what you expect. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a section of Scripture I could have picked the Bible talks more about money than anything. Jesus talked about money constantly. He's always talking about money. Why? Because money is the number one competing God to Yahweh. Money is the number one competing God to Jesus. Money's number one. So we're going to talk about money this morning. It'll be fun. Trust me. Um, there, you might be a little, whatever, uncomfortable we could talk about lots of things that would make you uncomfortable. So we're in the book of Timothy. And here's, here's what happened. Paul is planting all these churches. And he has this young protege uh, called Timothy. And he's writing him a letter on like how to be a pastor. And so, so if you want to take 1 Timothy and plug it into one thing, like one statement, like sum up 1 Timothy... 
This is what Paul says. Hey, Timothy, people are crazy. Watch out. That's what it is. That's all of 1 Timothy. You're going to pastor this church. You're going to go, just, I just want you to know, people are crazy. Watch out. Now, you might say, well, John, why should I read 1 Timothy? I'm not a pastor. It wasn't written to me. Spoiler alert, you are a shepherd wherever you are. My job as the shepherd of this church is to equip you to be shepherds at your work, in your home, in your neighborhood. It's everybody is some type of shepherd. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that my job is to equip the saints, which is you and me, for works of service. Okay, that's my job. My job is to figure out who's a hand, who's a foot, who's this, and then to somehow personalize it so that you can take your gifts, your shape, into your circle of influence and impact it. And one of the ways you're going to impact your circle of influence is through money. So here's, uh, we're in chapter 6, so Paul is winding down the the letter, and we're in chapter 6, verse uh, 4, and he's talking about, hey, um, Timothy, when you're shepherding, or when you're parenting, or when you're teaching, or when you're uh, managing, however it it is, uh, avoid a bunch of wasted time. Avoid stuff that's going to get you tripped up so you spend all this time doing stuff that doesn't produce anything. Don't do that. And so he says, avoid these people who have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words, Congress. <clears throat> they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. And watch what happens. And this is why you're saying this. I thought this was about money. We're getting there. That result in envy. There should be a comma there. Strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind. And don't get yourself off the hook and think, oh, He's talking about non-Christians or people who talk bad or use foul language. That's not corrupt mind. Basically, you could read it this way. And constant friction between people with minds. Okay? He's avoiding the constant friction part. That's the point. Who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now you and I might say, well, that's not me. I don't think godliness is a means to financial gain. But when you think about the system of money, what do we talk about? Fairness, justice, equity. Right? We think that that God, and those are godly principles. Fairness, justice, and equity are all godly principles. But we think by money, we can make it happen. That this godliness is a means of financial gain. In other words, what, 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 what Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, as you shepherd these people, don't get caught up in this stuff and think that you're going to be able to create an environment where everything's right and, it has, and money's going to solve everything. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Because then he gets to the meat and potatoes of it. And here's what he says. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, not financial gain with godliness, brings contentment. 
It's godliness with contentment is great gain. Watch what he does. He brings it all the way down to the brass tacks. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And if COVID has taught us anything, we are all frail. Whatever you believe about COVID, how you get it, how you stop it, whatever, it just took one tiny little microscopic thing that got into our little frail system and we went nuts. We went nuts. Here's what he says. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. How in the world is that possible? How is it possible that it's just food and clothing? Well, one way it's possible is you ask someone without food and clothing. What's the first thing they're thinking about? Food and clothing. If you go back to my Amazon orders, my order history, none of it was food and none of it was clothing. It was all stuff that make my life easier just to be honest. <laughs> and what, what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is, look, if it's going to be about money, and money's going to be the test of how happy you are, how accomplished you are, how powerful you are, how important you are, you are going to go through life miserable. Contentment is the cheat code. As a matter of fact, Philippians says it this way. So it's Paul. Now, this is another letter that he's writing to a church in Philippi. And, and just so we're clear, uh, again, I just want to state this. Uh, as I talk about Paul and Timothy and books of the Bible and all that, sometimes it seems a little overwhelming. But I want you to know that the Bible is absolutely accessible to you. It's one of the reasons why we do the Wednesday night study. We're going through the book of Matthew, as Travis told us. You can go into your app, click on Bible, and click on plan, and it'll give you your reading every day. The book of Matthew is absolutely accessible to you. The book of Philippians is the one we're going to do after that, okay? Here's what he says. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. We'll get back to Timothy. For I know what it is to be in need. So this is nice because Paul actually does talk about, yes, we have needs. That's, that's obvious. That's our biology. That's our physiology. We have needs. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in need. And he did. He knew what it was like to be imprisoned, to have nothing, to have it all taken away. He was in a position of power as a, as a Pharisee, and it got stripped from him. And I know what it is to have plenty. That's not too shabby either. He says, I have learned the cheat code of being content in any and every situation. Now, you have to be kind of, I'm kind of a scholar because I went to school to study the Bible. And that's the literal translation. But I'll go, I'll go back to the one that's in your Bible. I have learned the secret, okay? The secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And you say, John, how in the world do you do that? How do you get content? And we're talking about food and clothing. We're not even talking about the new 
charger I bought for my iPhone that I, just so I can have another place to charge my phone. Like, we're not even talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about food and clothing. And Paul says, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been hungry before, but I, I've learned the secret of being content. And then he says this, and this is the Tim Tebow verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Tim Tebow made this famous, by the way, with his little eye, eye thing. So that was just a joke for those online. They're cracking up right now. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me except play quarterback and then... Um, See, there we go. Nevertheless, you have done well to share in my affliction. In other words, what Paul, listen to Paul. This is really important. Listen, I know what it's like to be content, to have my focus solely on God. And yet, the giving of that church was important to him. Not for what it did to him, but what it does for us. Here's what, going back to Timothy, next verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I've preached this before, and just a little reminder, people will say the love of, or, or money is the root of all evil. That's the way they'll say the verse. Money is the root of all evil. It's a misquote. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, Put it on your radar. Is the problem that you might have is that a church talks about money? Or is it that it talks about your God in a way that you feel is blasphemous? Oops. Right? Is it, is it that it bothers you because you think, really, the pastor's going to buy a Mercedes? It would be a Tesla, not a Mercedes, but yeah, okay. Right? Is it that? Or is it that? I worship this God. Like this God is everything to me. And you want some of it? You want, this is mine. This is for me. You know what they call that? Bondage. They call it bondage. And the Bible wants you to be free. And the cheat code of contentment releases you from that. He goes on. He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And you say, whoa, man, wow, that's, I wonder who those people are. It's us. It's us. My love of money causes me all sorts of problems. Sometimes our love of money is so great that we will actually borrow money from an institution through uh, this magic card and then we're enslaved to that institution. That is being pierced with many griefs. The griefs are called MasterCard, Visa, Discover. Because we love stuff and we think those, that stuff is going to make us happy. What happened after 9-11? George Bush says, go spend. Whatever you do, spend. Right? Whatever you do, pray. <laughs> Not spend. Those who've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many a grief. Some people, for the love of retirement, have just worked and worked and worked to get to this wonderful heaven of retirement. And they've pierced themselves with many a grief. They've, they've sacrificed their family. They've sacrificed their health. They've sacrificed their own time because of the stuff that money brings us. Sometimes money isn't even stuff. 
Sometimes it was just like me when I was uh, 12 years old, and I looked in the bank, and I saw $500, and I could have basically retired right then at 12 years old. There is no way a human being can spend $500. It's impossible, and I had it all. I'd just walk around the house. What's up? Can't tell me what to do. I got my money, right? Pierce themselves with many a grief. Those people who have a retirement plan and it's their 401k and every week they look at it. How, what's the percentage? And I'm going to call my broker because he only got me this percent and Joe got that percent from his broker. That is just grief and bondage and just the Lord wants it rid of us. Well, how do we do that? Well, he goes on and... Uh, talks to Timothy about some things from verse 10 to 17. You can look at it yourself. I'm going to start focusing on 17 in a second. But I wanted to share what happened to me when I had my $500. I've shared this story many times. You've probably heard it before. If you're, if you're new here, then um, you get it for the first time. But I was, I was 12, and uh, my pastor was Paul Cedar. I was at Lake Avenue Congregational Church. My dad, God bless him, was a pastor at the time and said, you can go to any church you want, just so long as you're around the people of God, they're preaching the word, and you have people that are going to support you and encourage you in your faith. And so I found Lake Avenue because the, they were the most attractive girls. And so, uh, so I go to Lake Avenue with my best friend, Paul, and we're sitting there and I was sitting in the balcony because I'd always sit in the balcony and uh, the pastor, Paul, got up and his hands were like 17 feet long to me. He had huge hands and he put them up here when he wanted to make a point. I have tiny hands. He has big hands. Put them up and he go. he says, the tithe is the most important thing you can do with your money. And I'm like, tithe? Like, tithe, tie it in a rope? Like, what are you talking about? And he talked about this idea of the tithe, that the tithe is 10% of your money. Now, all of us who are adults here are thinking to ourselves, 10%, like, let's say you make 40 grand, like $4,000 in the tithe. So I'm listening to him, and uh, he says, if you want to start tithing, for every dollar you get, you give 10 cents. That seems logical. And for every $10, you give a dollar. That, that seemed logical. And so I got my tithe envelopes. It had my name on them. And from 12 years old, I started tithing. And so for me, at 12 years old, you got 500 bucks. You give, you know, write a check for 50, and then you're done with that. You get 450. I'm stoked. I'm less like, the tithe is the greatest thing in the world. I can feel good about giving to God, and I got my money, right? Then I got a job out of college, and I was married, and I was going through my budget, and every dime counted, right, because you're just starting out, and we had a car payment. It was extravagant. It was like $130 a month, and uh, it's just crazy. We were crazy. We were rolling on a Mazda 323. Whew. Anyway, 12-inch rims, beautiful, and so uh, we're going, and... I'm, we're still tithing, and we're still tithing, and we're making it, and we're making it. And then we bought a house. And so the way the housing uh, market worked at that time was, um, you know, you're supposed to buy low and sell high. We're like, bump that. We're going to buy high and let the market tank and let interest rates go up. And so that's what we did. 
came to a time when, uh, when our interest rate, we were in an adjustable um, rate mortgage. Jeez, okay, easy, all right? We made it through, okay, all right. So we're in this adjustable rate mortgage, the rate goes up, and I have, one, I have a choice. I can either pay my tithe or pay my mortgage. And that is about as real for me as it could possibly be. Okay, big boy, you talk about money, you talk about the tithe, Paul Cedar is no longer on this planet, no one's looking over your shoulder, just write the mortgage check. And here's the mistake I made. I went and talked to my wife. And I said, hey, by the way, Apparently, I'm not too good with finances, but I have a question for you. Just hypothetical. Let's say there's this guy who mismanaged all our finances, and he had a decision to make between writing a tithe check or the mortgage. You'd probably have him write the mortgage and then make up the tithe in some type of account or something later, right? And Lisa says to me, or the spouse of this hypothetical person says, no, you pay your mortgage. You pay your tithe. That's what you do. You pay the tithe. Everything else can be worked out. And I'm like, man, we are in the wrong denomination. I don't know what, who's teaching this girl crazy stuff. So we wrote the check for tithe. Now, I can't promise you this. I, can't, I can only share my story. Immediately, the chains were broken. I was like, you know what? It's a house. It doesn't matter. But I, for this section of money that I have set aside for God, it's sacred and it's holy, and I'm sure glad I married the wife I did to teach me yet again this lesson. Now, let's get into it. 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Do you know what arrogance is? It's that you're in control. It's that you make it happen. It's that it's your money. That's arrogance. That it's yours. See, if you look through the Bible, and the reason Jesus talks about money, and the reason Jesus, uh, God talks about money, and the reason the Old Testament and the New Testament talks about money is because money is the number one competing God to Yahweh. It's number one. Matter of fact, Jesus says, you can't serve God in money. You're going to hate one and love the other or vice versa. You can't do it. And so he says, command those who are rich. And here's what I know about you because I know this about me. I am a professional loophole finder. That's what I do for a living. I find loopholes in the Bible so that it doesn't apply to me. Unfortunately, we're going to try and say, oh, good, he said rich. Ah, oh, I'm so glad he said rich because that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> you have a very small view of history and the world. If you are in the sound of my voice, either here or online, historically, you are rich. You say, John, I talk by the water. We, I'm not, Jeff Bezos is rich. Okay, yeah, fine. You're rich. I hate to break it to you. If you're in America and you're making it, you are rich. I know, I know. Some are richer than others. I know it's a struggle for you right now. I know that sometimes it's hard to get this done or that done. Totally understand. But you're rich. And rich people think 
that their wealth gives them some type of importance or some type of, and this is what it was in my life, security. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Is that not true? I mean, have you ever done this? This is what has, has happened in my life. I got a job. When I got out of college, I made $25,000 a year, okay? And uh, it was obviously more money than I'd ever made before. But in my mind, I was like, if I could just make 30, I'm golden for the rest of my life. That, that extra uh, five grand, that would just make all the difference, you know? Like 400 bucks a month, oh, perfect. And then I got made 30. And what happened? The same thing that happens to you. You're like, man, 36 would just be, oh, man, could you imagine what we do? We'd probably travel to Europe. Then you make 36. Well, you know, 40 is kind of really the thing, right? It just goes on and on and on. He says, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Proverbs says this. I love this in Proverbs 18, 11. A rich man's wealth is a strong city. And like a high wall. Like, so you, you're thinking, oh man, the writer of Proverbs is like going, yeah, it is kind of good to have a lot of money. It's secure. It's a strong city. It's a high wall. But if you keep reading, it says it's a high wall in his own imagination. It's not a high wall. It's not a strong city. It's just an albatross. <laughs> He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And here is the point I want to make and why the tithe is so important. And again, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, you just turned it on, said COVID's over, I want to get my life going, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to head to church and I, you turn on me and here we are talking about money. This is the point, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Every area of our life needs a holy sacrifice. Matter of fact, the Bible says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So even our bodies, we, we look at as like, okay, which part of my body, how I serve, how I move, what I eat, where I go, all that, that's going to be acceptable to God. I'm, I'm taking my body, I'm making a living sacrifice. In the same way, we do it with money. The tithe is to say, God, everything you have, everything I have is yours, all of it. What you require of me is 10%. This is yours. This 10%. Now you say, John, I make 100 grand. Are you telling me $10,000 I'm supposed to give to the church? And just, you're like, what are you going to do with it? What, if, you know, what are you going to do with it? That's exactly what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. Now, it doesn't have to be this church. It can be whatever, wherever you, you are. But I just want to point out a couple things real quick. I told you it's going to be uncomfortable. When you take your tithe and you get the number and it's $5,000. And then you, you take it and you go, Mom, I'm going, to put, I'm going to take $500. I'm going to put it here. I'm going to put it here. And I'm going to put this here, here, here. And there's my 10%. You've basically just taken control again. When you take it and you just give it and it's out of your hands, no control. Now you say, John, what if the church loses it all or the pastor goes crazy and goes to Vegas? Then find another church. That, that's easy. 
There are churches everywhere. Just find one that manages money well. You, you can find them anywhere. I believe our church is one of them. We're one of thousands. Don't make that an excuse for not tithing. You say, John, I've lived this whole life, and now you're telling me i got to take my 70000 and write a check for seven, or my forty and write a check for four. I can't, I can't do that. I understand. And here's what I'm going to tell you, just like I would tell myself. Start somewhere. Just like any area of holiness in your life, start somewhere. We're going to be talking on November 21st. I just would encourage you to invite as many of your friends as you can. It's going to be a very fun service. Uh, but it's all talking about starting somewhere, okay? Talking about boundaries. To put their hope in God. If I want my hope in God, if I want to put my finances in God's hands, what he is requiring is 10%. You can have your other 90%. who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love how Paul puts this in. He's not opposed to money. He's not opposed to you being wealthy. He just says if you're wealthy or you start making money or you have all this extra, be on guard. Watch out is what he's saying. Who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. He says, command them to do good deeds, to be to do good, to be rich in good deeds. You know what I love about this? I'm just going to be honest. The more, someone was asking me, well, what would you do if you had a million dollars? Okay, I probably would buy a Tesla, but let's forget about the Tesla. Well, I just want a car that can drive, okay? Is that so wrong? All right, like itself. Okay, whatever. So, um, so you, you, you look at all this. But what I would do, I would pay to get out of things. That's what I'd do. I'd hire a chef. I'd hire someone to clean the house. My car would just be done. Some mobile wash would just come up and just, you know, wash my Tesla. Right? I probably wouldn't move. I don't think I'd move. I think I'm fine, right? Whatever. It would be to get out of stuff. Paul says, command those who are rich to get their hands dirty, to be a part of it, to be a part of the, of the kingdom, not to just pay money to everything, probably wrong gesture, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, Why? Why? Paul, are you saying because the early church needed cash? Because it was kind of, you know, it was hard to start a church. Is that why, Paul? Is that why you say that? Is it, is it, to, is it because uh, money's bad and if somebody has too much money, they become bad? You know, pa absolute power corrupts absolutely, all that kind of stuff. I got all, all this money. Is that, is that what it is? Well, fortunately for us, Paul shares the heart behind what he's saying. And this is the heart behind what I'm saying about giving and why it's so important. And why, if you don't think your church is doing it, find another church, do whatever you need to do to get this nailed down. He says this, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is truly life. One of the things about being poor, and I grew up, when I grew up, we did not have any money. I, my lunches were all government lunches, at, hot lunches at, 
at school, all that stuff. But I remember, and I, I actually found a letter that I had written my parents when I first went to college, and it said, I only have $15 in the bank after I bought books. Apparently, you can blow through 500 bucks, just so I'm letting you know. Um, I only had $15. I said, but I'm trusting in the Lord. And I remember that formative time of faith, just of just going, God, I, y- it's you. You're the God who richly provides. I wasn't asking for a million dollars. I was asking for more than 15, though. But that was the life that was truly life. To go, it's not my money. There's nothing I can do. I need you to provide. That's it. So that they may take hold. This whole series of cheat codes is so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. That we don't get tripped up by the little things. And as the worship band returns. That we don't get all bent out of shape over this. Last week, if you... I rarely say go listen to one of my previous sermons, but if you didn't listen to last week, I got incredible amount of positive feedback on it, not because I did a great job, because it was talking about forgiveness and a lack of forgiveness or bitterness just weighs people down and the cheat code of forgiveness lightens people up. And just like money, you ever meet a person who's good at forgiveness And you listen to their story and you say, there's no way I could do that. What you went through, your childhood, what they did to you at your job, there's no way I could get rid of that. And the person who uses the cheat code of forgiveness goes, oh, you gotta, you gotta try it. It's amazing. I'm here to tell you, not only as your pastor, but just as a dude, you gotta try the cheat code of tithe. I know. And you're like 10%, that's, I don't know. Fine. Sit down with whoever uses your money or whatever and go, hey, what's a percentage number we can do? I would encourage you to get to 10 as fast as you can. I don't know what it is about 10. I don't know why God chose 10, but he did. And I'd encourage you to do it. Just like the person who's forgiven goes, oh, you got to try that cheat code. I'll leave us with one other verse before we, we're going to listen to one more song and then... um, uh, I'll I'll come up and pray us out. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. (laughs) So the writer's serious, okay? Keep falsehood and lies far from me, social media. Give, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise... I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This writer of Proverbs, whoever wrote this, understood what money can do to you on either bookend. And giving and contentment and that idea that none of it's mine, I'm not called to kingship, I'm called to stewardship. I'm not the king of my money. I'm the steward of his money. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we are in a country that is wealthy. We have all sorts of stuff. Roads, relatively clean air, 
running water and electricity and phones. Pretty much places where we can just walk in and get food. God, and yet we're so far from you. We're so anxious. We're so fearful. We're so scared of other, whoever that other might be, Democrat or Republican or whatever. And you say, oh, you don't have to do that. There's a cheat code. Give me control of your finances. A lot of that will go away. So, Lord, that is hard to do. It's hard to release our grasp on the God of money. But you're there with open arms waiting for us. So we thank you for that. In your precious name, amen. Listen, I know, um, I know that what I've taught or talked about is hard, okay? Especially if you've been going through your whole life and you've just been like, woohoo, you know, uh, and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit's telling you it's time to button it up. But I'm talking to the 12-year-old kid that can be obedient when he's making 100 bucks a month. Because I know the freedom of what that looks like. So if you don't share this message with anyone, share it with some little kid and go, hey, I'm giving you $10. Give a dollar to God and get him started. And now, in the name of the Father who provides richly, and the name of the Son who gave richly, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who continues to give richly, go and be blessed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.